pick it up in verse 9. I'm not going to read the text um, in its entirety. I'm going to start there because there's so much to cover here. Um, so we'll pick it up as we go along. Uh, the series is called Made Right. And for the simple reason is that for us to be right with God, there's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves. It's something that God has to do for us. That's why it's a gift. And uh, we love talking about that. And so Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 31. I titled this morning's message about 10 different times. <sighs> you know how you get one and then you go, then you read something else, then you go, man, I like that, I like that one better. And I just kept, when I got to this one part of scripture, it just wouldn't leave my thought. And as I, even as I was laying in bed last night and just meditating on it, um, so I, I settled on this, and, and hopefully it'll make sense as we get into it. But I titled this morning's message, Put a Lid on It. Now, put a lid on it, okay? It's probably not what you think, but hopefully it'll stick with you. And the reason I wanted to do that, because I want it to stick with you. When you think about the, the thought of putting a lid on it, uh, God did put a lid on it. And we're going to spend some time talking about that. And it's a wonderful revelation for us. But... I'll invite you just to bow your heads with me. Let's pray as we open the service and, and pray for, for Larry today that God would bless him on his birthday. And then Blake, as he uh, begins a, a new journey of faith and steps out, that the Lord would uh, lead and guide him, that he would again, um, as he thinks back to Bakersfield, that it would be a sweet memory for him and that the Lord would just bless him uh, as he moves forward in faith in the Lord. Father God, we come before you and we thank you for communion Sundays because it's uh, it's really where we comprehend in a greater capacity what you have done for us, that you would go to a cross and shed your blood, that you would die in our place, you would die for us, that we could become the children of God, that we could become a family. And, and we are. And, and we say oftentimes that sometimes our relationships in the body of Christ are, are deeper than even our, our blood relatives. And Lord, we thank you that that's one of the reasons you gave us the church, that, uh, Lord, this wouldn't be a, a temporal relationship, but we're going to spend eternity together. And so you, you have much for us. And so you know, the body of Christ, thank you that it's universal, that it's all around the world today, that there's people gathering um, in every part of the world to love you and to worship you, to praise you and to read of your word, to grow in the understanding of uh, what you have accomplished for us. And so, Lord, we, we open your word today with that kind of heart, Lord, to, to honor you and to glorify you, to appreciate you, Jesus, and to love you in a deeper way. And, Lord, to thank you. Thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you for our brothers and sisters, Lord, who we get to fellowship with uh, week in and week out. And, and, and really the deeper relationships just aren't just the Sunday ones, but the ones that meet throughout the course of the week that really reflect the, the life of what you call the church, those that meet daily from house to house and breaking bread with gladness and simplicity of heart. That, Lord, our lives just become so intertwined. And uh, Lord, that's why we, we celebrate birthdays. And Lord, we stop and uh, pray for those that, Lord, are, that you move from place to place. And so we thank you for, for Larry today and Pray that, God, you would uh, first heal his body, Lord, of any cold or flu from the this winter months and, and bring comfort to him. And, Lord, thank you that we can ask for that. And, uh, Lord, just that you would bless him this next year, that he would know, Lord, uh, your love in a deeper way. And that, Lord, we would be a reflection of that love for him. And uh, we would just appreciate him and his service to, to the body of Christ here. And just pray that you'd bless him in every way. And for Blake, uh, Lord, just thank you for 
just the, the way that uh, Lord has blessed our church um, with Lord, uh, just even this, this past year with uh, just the uh, cutting boards that he made and, and donated that Lord, we could be a blessing and minister to people. Um, Lord, just his faithfulness, just uh, his demeanor, God, just his countenance, Lord, just the joy, uh, Lord, of you being in his life. And just thank you for him being part of this church family for the time that you gifted him here. And Lord, as he goes forth, we pray that he would go not just with a blessing, but Lord, that he would go in faith, trusting you and being led by you. And we pray that you would land him in a place that he could call home uh, very quickly. Uh, God, that he would be received and Lord, that uh, he would sense your peace and your presence there. And for every person, whether they're in the sanctuary or watching at home today, God, we pray your blessing over them. Uh, Lord, we thank you that, God, they can receive communion at home today by just taking uh, bread at home or a cracker and, and juice or even water, Lord. It's really the, the symbolism of it. And, and to be reminded, Lord, afresh, that it was your body broken for us. It was your blood that was shed on Calvary's cross so that we could know you, that we could have a, a relationship with God. And uh, Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for, Lord, what that means to us, to be able to, to say that you are our Abba, our Father, who art in heaven. And we love you today, and we need you so much, and our country needs you, and our state, our city, Lord, our church, us, Lord. And thank you that you're here in this place. Have your way, Lord, this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Um, you know, last week, you know, as we looked at this, you, you recall, you know, Paul is like, a, like I said, a prosecuting attorney. And he's started in chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, bringing uh, each and every one of us to a place where we would recognize uh, our sin. Now, that's what he wants us to see. He wants us to recognize our sin, that we are sinners. And because of that, uh, our relationship with God has been severed. And it's a dark road, you know, that he takes us down and, you know, you can squirm and you can, you know, it's that old expression, you can run, but you can't hide. Eventually he gets us all. Like I said, in chapter one, he started with, you know, the heathen. I mean, what we would call the despicable or some would call the deplorables and, and then moved into, uh, you know, the, what some would say is just the ethical or the moral person who, and sometimes are very difficult to reach because they don't really see a need for God. But the, really the most difficult group is the group that he's dealing with right now. And what we started with last week is the religious, the people that think because they go to church or they own a Bible or they have a heritage, you know, of, of faith in their family. Maybe your, you know, mom or dad was in ministry and your or grandfather or grandmother, you know, and that just because of that relationship that, uh, you know, that your life is, you know, you're in order. And Paul is going, nah, none of those things, none of those things count. And if you saw that at the beginning, I'll just kind of start there. In, in uh, chapter three and verse one, you know, and Paul, remember, and he's doing this, he's, he's answering rhetorical questions. Like I said, when he would ever travel to any new place on a missionary journey, he always went to a synagogue first, right? That's where he started. And then when they kicked him out, he went next door and uh, preached to the Gentiles. But he would always, he would always start with the Jew. And you, people will ask, you know, why? Well, remember the message of the gospel was first and foremost to the Jew and then to the Gentile. He was just doing what God had instructed him to do. And so he's had all the questions. He knows, he knows the answers. So he's asking, in a sense, rhetorical questions here and then answering them. He says in verse uh, one, he says, what advantage then 
has the, the Jew or what prophet is circumcision? So the question being asked is, you know, then what, what benefit is there being a Jew? I mean, if, if we're, you know, God's chosen people and we've got the oracles of God, we've got the word of God and we're no different than the heathen. He's like, then what was the advantage, you know, of being a Jew to begin with? And, and so Paul, like I said, is anticipating their argument. And he said, much in every way, chiefly because to them was committed the oracles of God. So the Jews had the word of God. And like I shared with you, you know, one of the things by adhering to the word of God, um, it wasn't ever given to the Jews to provide salvation for them. It was the law was to actually bring them to recognize their need for salvation. But yet if by adhering to the law, there were benefits to it. And one of them I shared with you was the sundry laws, you know, the cleansing laws of the Old Testament. And I shared with you about, you know, the black plague or bubonic plague just simply by washing their hands. You know, the Jews were different from the rest of the world. So there were advantages to having the word of God. And, and he says, so in verse uh, three, he says, for what if some of you did not believe? He says, will their unbelief make faithfulness of God without effect? And so Paul's anticipating another question. So he says, certainly not. Indeed, let God be true and every man a liar. He says, as it's written that you may be justified in your words and may be overcome when you are judged. You know, Here's, here's the point Paul was making there. You know, people say, hey, I, you know, I've, I've tried God. I've, I've tried the Christian thing and it, it, didn't, it didn't work for me. You know, that's what they're saying. Like that's justification, you know, for not, for not having a personal relationship with God. And in the, really the point, you know, that Paul would be making here is going, if it's not happening in your life, don't blame God, right? Because people go, I tried it. It didn't work for me. Like it's God's fault. You know, hey, I, I asked God and he didn't do what I asked him to do. So therefore on God, right? And, and Paul knows that. And guess what? That's not even a new argument, is it? I mean, we hear the same thing today, and yet this is 2,000 years old, you know, when Paul is talking about this. And he goes on in verse 5, he says, but if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust to inflict wrath? He says, I speak as a man. Certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God is increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come, as we are slanderously reported, and of some affirm that we say their commandment is just. And really what Paul is saying, there's that people have ridiculous responses with regards to the law of God. And, and so Paul, he doesn't even waste his time trying to, you know, Paul loves to debate the truth of God. But he goes, this is such a ridiculous thought. And it's in, in the sense, it's like Jesus going, knowing their thoughts, knowing their heart. Paul knows what their intent is. It's not that they would learn something to overcome an objection so that they could come to faith. They were establishing, have you ever had conversations with people that you know didn't want to come to faith? And they were just arguing with you and arguing with you, debating with you. And they, what they were doing was they were stonewalling, right? They were just putting up something that would prevent you in the truest sense from having a you know, conversation that could lead to faith. And Paul recognizes this about the Jews here. And so he just doesn't try to respond. What he basically says is, you know what? They're going to get what they deserve. And I've heard many people share that. You know, they go, hey, so how'd it go with them? And they go, then they wouldn't. Sadly, they go, they're just going to get what they deserve. They're just going to get what they deserve. And that, that's exactly what Paul is doing. And so he's systematically, like I said, from chapter one to chapter three, he wants each and every one of us to understand our guilt before God. And so then in verse nine, he says, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all. He says, for we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. So what's he saying? Everybody's accountable to God. 
the heathen, the, the ethical, the religious, everybody is accountable to God. You know, how does that song go? We teach it to our children. Jesus loves the little children of the world, right? If Paul was going to add another stanza to that, he would say, you know, they are red, yellow, black, and white. Each is what? Wretched in his sight. It, it wouldn't be, what do we say? How's it go, Vanessa? How do we teach it to the kids? They're precious, right? But Paul would go, no, no, no. Before we get to that, let's, let's teach them the truth here. Let's keep, this, let's keep this in chronological order. Maybe you could do that with the kids. You go, hey, before we get to there, let's just back up one verse. You are wretched in his sight. They'll be running from there. Mommy, Miss Vanessa said I was wretched. And you go, and they are, as much as we love them. I mean, they're just little sinners, right? I, I mean, I love it. You know, Lee and I are expecting our eighth, you know, grandbaby this year. And, and I mean, we love them. But you know what? Um, I mean, I talk to my kids and I go, how you doing? Yeah, I'm really tired. I go, why? I was up all night with the baby. I want you to just ask the baby to sleep. Just say, honey, I love you, but mom's really tired. You know, and can you just sleep all through the night? I go, they don't care. They go, what? Feed me, hold me, change me, you know, give me attention, right? It's just, it's just a great portrait of what? Selfishness. I mean, you, you can't wait. You know, you love that baby. You couldn't wait to get that baby. And then when you're holding that baby, and then you're just going, man, I can't wait to that and put this baby down. You know, your hips start hurting. You know, I watch my wife walking around the kitchen. You know, oh, it, it hurts. And you go, just to hold the baby. And you go, yeah, try it for like an hour. And you go, oh, man, sinners by what? By birth. By birth. And you see it in them. You know, like I said, I've never, had, I've never seen a baby just go look over there and go, mom's real tired. Okay, I'll just lay here in the crib until, until she wakes up. No. It's like not, not going to happen. So Paul makes this broad statement here, you know, that all are under the power of sin. And like I said, the Jews, they believe that about the rest of the world. They go, oh, you meant them, right? <laughs> Lord, you mean, they're all under sin, right? Not, not, not us. And he's all, all's a big word there, right? Who, who, who is like, you know, if you're in the South and it's y'all, who, what does that mean? Y'all, who are you referring to? everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what he's saying. There's no difference between the Jew and no difference between the Gentile here. All are under the power, the authority, under the yoke, under the bondage of sin. And there is no escaping its power. There's such strong language in, in the Greek language there. The Greek word, it's interesting, is the word teres there. And it means to, to string together pearls. And what Paul is doing here, he's about to just lamb blast them. You know, you ever had somebody that just, you know, had an argument and, and it's like, they go, it's not just one thing. And they come with two things and you go, okay, so, okay, I get it. Three and then four. And they just keep and like, like a prosecuting attorney. He is just laying it on thick as it moves forward here. And he, he wants them to understand that. I mean, we are totally depraved. I mean, that, that's the bottom line. He says in verse 10, as it's written, he says, there is none righteous. No, not what? One, nobody. He's quoting Psalm 14, 1. So he's just, he's just going to, he's using the law. He's just going to use the law here, piece by piece. Verse 11 goes on. It says, there is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. He's quoting Psalm 14, 2 there. You know, so when you, you think about uh, when you become, there, there's a process to this. Like I said, in Romans 1, it's just a great, great study of seeing this degradation, this downward spiral when we are no longer thankful to God. You know, we talked about that in chapter one. But what you see is when, when we become unrighteous, and, and you look at the world today, so I want to be, 
I want to walk you through this slowly, just this little piece here for a second, because I want you to look at the world in the sense, because hopefully you're here today and you're, you're a child of God. You, you've repented of your sin. You are born again, and God's opened your mind, and you see things, and you see things a lot more clearly. You know, it's like the song, I can see clearly now, right? The rain is gone. God, God has removed the obstacles that were in your way. And so understand this. When you become unrighteous, you become unreasonable. And when you become unreasonable, you become unresponsive. It's a downward spiral. And that's what's happening is that, again, when all of a sudden you look at the things that are going on in the world today, you know, I want to say that again. You know, when you become unrighteous, you become unreasonable. And you see that in the world today, right? You're trying to think of, you can't reason with them, right? You can't reason. Well, what happens? You go, because you're blind. And when you become unreasonable, like I said, you become unresponsive. And I know because some of some of you that I look at and that you've shared the gospel faithfully with family and friends and you go, and it's so heartbreaking. You go, because they're so entrenched in sin. There's not an openness, like I said, to at least, you know, go, hey, have you considered, you know, the way that you're going? And then yet people will come back at you, just like I know they do me. They go, Pastor Mike, look at all the religions in the world. I don't believe that verse to be true. I believe that people are seeking God. I mean, just look around, you know, all the religions that exist and all the different faiths, you know, that are in the world. And yet the Bible says it's the very opposite. And you really stop and you think about this for a second. Because when you have heard the truth of the gospel, so hear me on this. When you've heard the truth of the gospel and then you choose another religion, what is, what is that reason for? Is that because you really have a heart towards worship? Well, the Bible says no. The Bible says what you're doing, and you see this in many people's lives, they go, well, I just have this thing with me and God, right? You ever met somebody like that? You know, me and God, we, you know, we got this all worked out. We have our own little thing going on. And you go, why is that? And you go, because they don't want to acknowledge the one true God. Because if you acknowledge the one true God, what happens? You become accountable to the one true God. Does that make sense? Okay. So now, maybe this is an aha moment for all of us. Why are there so many different religions in the world? It's not because people want to worship. It's because in the truest sense, they don't want to worship the one true God. And Paul develops that as it goes along. Here's, here's a case in point. Let me give you a verse of scripture for those of you that want to study this out. And hopefully you do you go a little deeper with it. Paul makes note of this in 1 Corinthians. Remember, he's talking to a church. What kind of church was it in Corinth that he was dealing with? A pretty bad situation, right? That he was bringing correction to. And, and so in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20, he makes note of this. He says, rather, he says, the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons. Now, they wouldn't tell you that they were sacrificing it to a demon, right? He says, and not to God. And he says, and I do, I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. And the point is, is that, see, people will go, well, it's just worship. And Paul's going, no, it's not worship of God. It's worship of demons. And I don't want you to have any fellowship in the worship of demons. You know, we think about, you know, and I've shared this with you, you know, idolatry in the Old Testament, you know, is more 
evident in how it was done because they made little, you know, articles. They, they would carve things on trees, right? They would stack up rocks, you know, and, and they worshiped other things. They, they had their little tokens, the things that they carried around or places that they went, the high places, if you have the opportunity on our next trip to uh, Israel, we'll be going up into the north up to Tel Dan, and we'll spend time there. What you see, you know, in, in the books of, of Kings, and you see um, the high places, and those, those, you know, little shrines are still there, carved in the rock, things that they could look to. But they didn't do that because they had a heart for God, is they, they didn't have a heart for God. And, and God himself says that was the worship of demons. And then yet, you know, in our culture today, it'd be the same thing. It's like somebody goes, you know, no, no, I don't worship my car, but you know what, I, I wash and wax it every day, you know, and I use a duster on it. I mean, I have a friend that, that is so into, you know, taking care of his car. It's crazy. I mean, his car looks amazing. He's got an old uh, Toyota pickup truck. And you'd think that, you know, this thing's like almost 15, 20 years old, but you'd think that it was like off the showroom floor. But if I told you how many hours a day that he spends that, you go, I think it's a bit too much. <laughs> it's just what? A truck. And you go, oh, no, it's not just a truck, Pastor Mike. It's a Toyota. I go, okay, sorry. You know, I get that, you know. But, but it's just that, and that's the logic of it. It's like, you know, I'm being a good steward. No, you're not. Because stewardship has to do with what? Everything of your life, right? Are we called to be a stewards of our time? And you go, yeah, redeeming the time for the days are evil, right? So again, that becomes just an opportunity for them to do what? It's the, it's the lust of the flesh, the, you know, the pride of life, whatever you might say, the lust of the eyes, the things in their own life. But it's not about worshiping God. I mean, it was Jesus who said this, don't shoot me. He said, no man comes to the Father except by who? By Jesus. Let me say that again. No man comes to the Father except by me. Wow. It's pretty narrow, isn't it? John 6, Jesus put it like this. He said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. The point of that is, is that for all of us, the reason we're here today is because Jesus called us, because Jesus chose us, because Jesus opened our eyes to the truth. It wasn't that we went, oh, you know, I've done this or I've done this. You know, we have, we have, we can't boast in our faith because it's all about Jesus. It's all what he has done for us. That's what we, we celebrate in communion today, amen? His body, his blood shed for us. We seek God because what? Because he sought me first, right? Yeah. I love him because what? He loved me first. Yeah. And the same with you. We were dead, right? When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, what did God say? He said, in the day that you eat this fruit, you shall surely what? Utopia, right? No, yeah, you're right. You said it. You'll surely die. How did they die that day? Well, in two ways, right? We know physically death was now in the world, right? It would take its time there. So, but how did they die? Spiritually. They were, God had separated himself from them. God would still lead from afar, but not, you know, in the sense of we were made as a triune being, body, soul, and spirit. Our spirit was dead in that moment. And it only comes alive, as Jesus said, that's why a man or woman must be what? Born again. So it isn't just about being ethical or moral or religious. It's about being born again. It's about having a personal relationship with God. Why? 
Because dead people don't seek anything. Is that pretty safe to say? Verse 12 goes on, it says, They have all turned aside. They have uh, together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not what? One. Can you imagine being in a courtroom and you're hearing this for the first time? You're just shrinking down. You know, it's like, you know, he's taking everybody out. Take no prisoners. He's quoting Psalm 14.3 here. That word unprofitable means spoiled milk. He's saying everybody is like spoiled milk. Have you ever tasted spoiled milk before? What does it do? It gags you, right? <laughs> I've done it a, a few times where I've reached in, you know, this is when our, my kids were there and, you know, we'd have different kinds of milk and you reach in and I'd pour the milk onto the cereal and I'm going, I didn't think the cereal was chunky, you know, and I was texting it. Oh man, it's just, oh. And yet here's what he's saying. He's going, people think that they're doing right. And he goes, and they're like spoiled milk. You know, it's like that, like I say, that, that feeling. How many are breakfast eaters? You like breakfast. I mean, it's like a good bowl of cereal. There's nothing. There is not. I just, you know, again, I hate making advertisements for things, but I got to put this out to you. If, if, if Raisin Bran Crunch is not part of your breakfast, you need to make it part of your breakfast. I mean, those little crunch things, oh, they're so, it's so good. There'll be some days, I mean, I crave it when I get up in the morning. I'll be like, oh, man. And you, and then to, so you have this sense of, and then you pour spoiled milk on it. That's kind of the, the feeling, you know, that as I read this, as Paul is saying, you know, here, I want you to understand, he goes, they're unprofitable. There's none who does good. They think that they're doing good. Oh, I think this. You're so excited about, you know, having this bowl of cereal. And then you put that spoiled milk on there and it just ruins everything. See, people have a tendency to think they're doing right in their own eyes. And they think that doing that right that they see in their own eyes is enough. And you hear it from people all the time that, that don't have a personal relationship with God, don't you? Because they'll go, you know, hey, I, I, I try to do the right thing, right? And, and they're good about that because they say, what they're saying is they think about it. They go, I think about right and wrong. And, and, and I, I try to do what's right. Well, if you, if you take that to the fullest you know, conclusion, you go, you can ask a universal question. Do you always do that which you know is right to do? It's a universal answer, right? What is it? No. So it makes us sinners by what? By choice. But see... In people's minds, you know, that's a hard. This is why it's hard to reach reach the religious person because they don't want to confess that they're a sinner. They don't want to go, "Yes, I'm a sinner," because when they go, "Well, I'm not as bad as them," you know, and you go, "That's that's absolutely correct, but you're not as good as you need to be." Then what do you do if you're not as good as you need to be? You go, "You're guilty," and what is he saying? The wages of sin is what death. I mean, no matter how much you squirm, no matter how much you try to hide, you come to the conclusion, you go, I am dead. I'm a dead man. And that's what Paul is wanting to do. He's wanting to bring everybody to that place. The measuring stick is what? It's God's word. That's what Paul's saying. You know, in the book of Judges, Judges 17.6 and Judges 21.35, it says, in those days when there was no king in Israel, everyone did what? What was right, where? In their own eyes. We're not the only people. Everybody's tried at some point. Proverbs 12, 15 says, the way of a fool is what? Right, where? In his own eyes. In his own eyes. What does Proverbs say? Don't lean on your own understanding. 
I mean, we pride ourselves, oh, I've got this figured out. We need to just say, for the grace of God, what? Why? For the grace of God. A fool is one who believes you know, that he's right in his own eyes. That's what the Bible says. Even, like I said, if you're doing what's right in your own eyes, it's still wrong if it goes against God's word. And I talk to people all the time who are doing that. But they go, yeah, but I, I, I'm okay with it. That's okay. Goes back to what Paul said. Let them burn. I mean, it's not going to work for you. If what you're doing goes against God's word, that is foolish. That is foolish. Because the end is what? Death. What does it matter? You know, if, like I said, it's like somebody jumping off a cliff. I used to explain to kids this way. I go, what does it matter if you're, if you're a really good long jumper and you have really good form and you go out, you know, 20, whatever the world record is, you know, 20 something feet. And I go out, you know, because I can't jump at all. And I only go out a foot and a half and I do a header. I go, what does it matter? Because what's the end? We both kerplunk down at the bottom of a 3,000 foot, you know, ravine. We're dead. You go, yeah, but I look better. That, that's, the, that's the logic of stupidity, right? Yeah, but I look, you know, it's like Buzz Lightyear, you know. I, I wasn't, you know, falling. I was what? What do you say? Falling with style. Yeah, you know, we, we make up things to, you know, to make it look good, to, you know, to other people. We measure ourselves by ourselves. That, that is a terrible measuring stick. That's like putting two crooked sticks next to each other and go, is, is it straight? You know, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. You know, and it's, and it's amazing when you think about this, even in our prison systems, even in prison, you know, that they have a code of conduct. They have a justice system. Like if you go to prison for certain, for certain crimes, there's a good chance you're going to die in prison. Even though the state says, yes, you're guilty, but you know, we don't support the death penalty. So you're going to spend life in prison. You get to prison and they find out you've committed certain crimes you're going to die if you're in the general population. <laughs> you go, why? Because they, they've come up with their own code, their own. They, go, they judge themselves by themselves. It's just something, like I said, that's in the heart of man. 1 Corinthians 2.14 puts it like this. says, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And that's where people go wrong. See, they think that, you know, oh, well, I just have it all worked out with God. And I see, and you go, no, we're better off to say what? I'm blind. I'm blind. And God, help me, cause me to see. I mean, think about, you know, the natural man. You know, we, we think this, we, how many have heard this expression in the last year, follow the science? And, and, and not to get into all that, because that just would infuriate many of us in here. But you as a logically thinking, saved, born-again person, you look at that and you go, how, if I follow the science, it's like that, you know, when they used to have the song and the ping pong ball bouncing on the thing, you're all over the map, right? It doesn't even make any sense to you to follow the science because the science is by observation and it's just moving all over the place. And, and like I said, science, whether it's technology, it can't comprehend the things of God. Why? Because sin blinds us. Sin blinds us to the things of God. I mean, sin has so corrupted and weakened the mind of the natural man, it becomes what? Unreasonable. And when it becomes unreasonable, what does it become? Unresponsive. You can see the downward spiral. Like I said, just look at all. I mean, how many world religions are there today? John, calling on you. No, but... <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I mean, there's, there's, there's thousands of them, right? There's thousands of religions. There's a new one every day. People just invent them, and then people follow. I was asking my wife last night. I go, like, to me, like, one of the weirdest things of, like, what, of smart people, Scientology. Like, you look at this, and you, and you listen to them, and you're just going, how did you, how did you, and you just, you have to just go back and apologize. Just let it go. Just let it go. There are just some things you just can't until, you know, someone, like I said, hits rock bottom, that they're going to find out that Jesus is rock solid. You know, I mean, how many by a show of hands, you've heard this. I believe as long as a person is sincere, they're saved. You ever heard that? Yeah, a lot of us have, yeah. Some of us probably said it. You know, think about this. You know, teachers, I mean, we're seeing this in our educational system, right? There's another thing I can't get into. It'll just get people infuriated. But, but, but they go, um, I wish we graded like this when I was in school. I heard this, you know, just recently on television. You go to school, right? They give out the homework. And it was math class of all the classes. That's even the best one, right? And there was no wrong answers. As long as the teacher felt that you were what? Sincere. Sincere. I, I, I love that. You're sincere. You know, I get an F, right, from normal teachers back in the day. You go, but you see me? And the teacher's over there going, they see you going like this. And they see a bunch of scratch outs on your paper. I was trying real hard. They go, well, you know what, honey, I'm giving you an A. Why? Because you're sincere. He goes, is that going to help you in life? No. I mean, you think about it. The space program. How many remember the, the first Mars probe? Do you remember that? Do you remember the story about that? We planted the first Mars, Mars probe. It cost billions of dollars, right? We landed it. Oh, oh, we got it to Mars. Yeah. This thing hit the face of, of Mars at like something thousand miles an hour. I mean, you can imagine all these, these engineers, all these scientists, right? They're sitting in the you know, uh, control stations around the world. This was, a, this was a world project, right? Global project. They're watching and that probe is going, din, din, din. well, it's supposed to slow down, right? And right at the end, these little probe things were supposed to come out, kind of like the lunar module. And it was supposed to go to the face of Mars and, and lay down. Poof. Maybe a little dust came up or something. You know, I don't know. This thing went. <whistles> they watched it and watched it and it didn't slow down. I mean, it just into the surface of Mars. And they, you know, they concluded what they found out what happened. Well, we were doing this with European countries and they were, they were calculating everything in kilometers. And we forgot to, we had the last leg. We forgot to change it. We were doing it, you know, in yards. Oops. I mean, just go, man, you know, the way that we, you know, and, and, and then, but what was funny about that is not that it didn't ha that, that happened. It was like, they, as they're giving the news report afterwards, saying, well, the, the technician, you know, yes, they were wrong, but they were very sincere. They were very sincere. And you're going, how many billions of dollars did you just plant on the surface? I don't think it, that, was that a test that you were trying to accomplish? I don't think that was in it. And they're just going, they're writing nothing. Well, they were sincere. They, they, they were sincere, you know. I mean, we're not so much worried about the accuracy. What we're more concerned about in life is what? Sincerity. You just go, okay. So in the true sense, does sincerity even mean anything? No, really doesn't. I mean, they take gravity, you know. I mean, I don't care. I mean, I like Superman. 
But you, you can put a, you know, outfit on, put an S on your front of your outfit and get a cape on. You get on the roof and you, I have superpowers and you really believe it. And I'm going to jump off face first. What's going to happen? As sincere as you might be, it's going to hurt or could be worse, right? So it isn't about sincerity. This, this is how, like I said, it, it just this downward spiral. People just go, "Well, I, I just believe. I just believe that people are sincere." I mean, think, let it, really think about that. Verse thirteen goes on. It says, "Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips." So he's quoting Psalm five nine and Psalm. 140 verse 3. So he's just ripping these things off. Then verse 14 goes on and says, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, quoting Psalm 10:7, verse 15. Their feet are swift to shed blood. He's quoting Isaiah 59:7. They, they can't even stop, you know, they're trying to write these things down. Verse 16, destruction and misery are in their ways, quoting Isaiah 59:7, verse 17. And the way of peace they have not known. He's quoting Isaiah 59:8 there. And then verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes, quoting Psalm 36:1. Warren Wearsby, I, I love his commentaries. He said of verses 10 through 18, they're like God's X-rays of the entire human race. And again, it, it doesn't heal, is what he's saying. The law doesn't heal. It just reveals, okay? Because you'll talk to people and they go, well, we have, we're called to keep the law. You go, the law, again, does not heal. The law only reveals. Wearsby said, you know, the law reveals unrighteousness, ignorance, independence towards God, waywardness, unprofitableness, a lack of any goodness. Man's throat is full of rottenness. His tongue is deceitful. His lips are venomous. His mouth is full of swearing. His feet are bent on murder. He leaves behind trouble and destruction. He doesn't know how to make peace and he has no regard for God man, he's going, he goes, and that's us. He's not saying that's like, you know, somebody out there, you know, and you can look at this and you say, well, obviously every man hasn't committed every sin, but we have a nature that's capable of every sin. Amen. We're capable of anything. I mean, and, and I don't want to get this where you have to raise your hand, but I want you to think about this because I bet if you're really honest, there's some sin that you've committed in your life that at some point in your life, you said, I would never do that. I would never do that. And you did it. And sometimes it's hard to forgive ourselves. But you need to. Because there's forgiveness from God. But we're all guilty. That's the point that Paul makes. Now, he transitions. The, the point that we have, we have lived for since we started studying the book of Romans. How can a man be saved? What God has done for us. Because the Jews, they thought... They could earn God's favor by keeping the law. I bet some of us have felt the same way. I'll just be a good person. I'll do the right thing. And therefore God will accept me. But the law was never intended to save us, but to show us. To show that we had a need for Jesus. Verse 19 goes on. It says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may be guilty before God. So what is Paul doing here? pointing out that Moses, the great lawgiver, made it perfectly clear there was nobody who was good. That's what he, Paul's just rattling off here, right? From the Old Testament. Again, when God gave the law to Israel, it was never given to justify them. God was actually using the nation of Israel as a sample 
for the entire human race. I was trying to think of an analogy. I was sharing this with my wife yesterday. I go, how, how many have, have pools? Anybody have a swimming pool here? Or you had a swimming pool? Yeah. And we've had a swimming pool before, and thank God we don't now. And But when we had one, you know, my wife would go out, and she would take a sample of the pool, water, and she would take it to the pool supply place. And they would do what? They would test the water, and they would test that little vial of water that she took that represented, we had like 34,000-gallon pool, okay? And they would test that little vial, and they would give her the chemicals to treat the whole entirety of our pool, that one little vial. Well, Israel is like that vial. And guess what God found when he tested Israel? They were filthy. They were sinners. They weren't justified. God used Israel, you might say, as a microcosm to show us, you know, that again, they were a failure, you know, not a success when it came to obeying God. And yet, you look at verse 20, it says, and therefore by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. You know, as one commentator put it, we all come in last. We all come in last. You don't need to raise your hand to this one, but have you ever come in last? I have. It doesn't feel good to come in last, but that's exactly what all of us have done. Those who try to live by the law, those who don't, they're equally guilty before God. Like I said, you might jump off the cliff 30 feet because you did better versus the person who just said, eh, and just rolled off. It's death, no matter what. Like I said, you wouldn't know how crooked something was unless you held it up to a straight line. The law of God's a straight line. You know, it's been well said, a mirror can only reveal a blemish on your face, but a mirror can do nothing to wash your face. Or a thermometer, it can tell you that you have a fever, but it can't cure the fever. So the law is good when it's used to produce conviction of sin, because that's what it was for. But it's worthless to save you from sin. So when people say, you need to, you need to keep the law. You know, I have friends that, that they've gone backwards, and now they're Christians who become Jews, and they go, you have to keep the law. You go, you can't. You can't keep the law. Well, but we should try to keep the law. Well, I, I, I understand that. I mean, in the sense of the Ten Commandments and, you know, there, there's, you know, obviously that's, that's good. But what, what happens when you fall short? And what happens is you go, it's really easy to become judgmental of other people because you go, I jump further than you do, right? And that's what happens is that becomes that self-righteousness again. You start judging other people because, you know, for them to, oh, they just, they're just all about grace, you know, well... When you stand before God, the only way you're going to get in is what? By grace. By grace. I like what Martin Luther said. He said, the law's function is not to justify, but to terrify. That's, that's so true. Not to justify, but to terrify. Verse 21 goes on. It says, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So this is what the, the book of Romans is all about. A righteousness apart from the law. You go, how? I mean, no one wants to go to trial, right? So here God's going to lay out a plea bargain, you might say, you know, for us. A righteousness that is attainable apart from the law. Wow. Apart from our conformity. It's a gift. A gift. Righteousness is a gift. 
initiated by grace, paid for by Jesus and received by faith. That, that's how, that's how we get it. Verse 22 goes on. It says, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe for there is no difference. So what did verse 21 tell us? There's no righteous salvation obtained on the basis of keeping the law. And now he tells us how we obtain it through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, what does faith mean? Faith is, you know, it's active, right? It's in the present tense. It's not past tense. It's present tense constantly in our life that we are acting upon, that we're relying upon, that we're believing in, we're trusting in, we're, we're exercising a life of faith in Jesus Christ, who is our only hope of heaven. Faith that's based on the revelation, you know, of the person and the work of Jesus Christ that we find in scripture. I mean, faith isn't a, it's not a leap. You know, people, oh, faith. No, it's an assurance. You know, Hebrews chapter 11 tells us. You know, here's a great book if you, if you like to read uh, at Christmas time, if you want it for yourself, or maybe you know somebody who, who's maybe questioning, maybe doubting. Uh, J. Warner Wallace, he has a new book out called Person of Interest. If you like the works of like Josh McDowell, um, you know, or Lee Strobel, you know, those type of, of writers, uh, you will love J. Warner Wallace. And, and he's got some great, great uh, material there. He was a, 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 a policeman. He was an investigator. And so he, he uses a lot of investigating skills uh, to prove uh, the reliability of scripture and who Jesus is. But basically what, you know, Paul's bringing us to, here to understand, you know, we can't boast because we believe. That's what people do. They, they start boasting in their belief. You go, we believe again, because what? Because God opened our eyes. Yes, we were seeking, but God opened our eyes. It's not like somebody else was seeking and then God didn't open their eyes. There are people that hold to that. And you go, but it's not true because the Bible says, if you'll seek me, Jesus said, if you'll seek me with all of your heart, what? You'll find me. When what? When you seek me with all of your heart. Yeah. And so it's not like God goes, oh, I want you, but I don't want you. You know, no, God's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. But we can't boast in our faith because we believed. I like what one commentator said. He, he says, a man cannot boast because he has believed the Lord. He would be a fool not to believe. That really puts it into perspective. You know, we want to boast. You go, well, when you look at the evidence, you go, you'd be a fool not to believe. Isn't that what the, you know, we read in scripture? The fool has said in his what? In his heart, there is no God. God attaches foolishness to that. Faith isn't an attempt to, like I said, earn salvation. It's the acceptance that our salvation has been provided by God himself. So who can be made righteous? That's important to know as we prepare for communion here today. All who believe in God's salvation that's offered only in Jesus Christ. The pardon is full, but it's only made effective when it's received. You know, I put my notes here. You know, it's been well said. The difference between heaven and hell is what? 18 inches. Think about that. The difference between your head and your heart. You can know all the truth, right? You can come to Bible studies. You can read the Bible. But if there's no heart change, if there's no application, then what is it? What good does it do? It's nothing. So it's not information. It's transformation, you know, that, that God wants in our life to act upon it. It says, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Again, 
The availability of the gospel you can see here is as universal as the need for the gospel. All, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody connected to Adam. Who's that? All of us. When Adam sinned, we all sin because he's our representative. So what is sin? Let me read this to you. Sin is any thought, word, deed that falls short of God's standard of holiness and perfection. It's missing the mark, a coming short of the target. Again, so you understand this, it's an archery term, right? You know, for an Indian uh, whose arrow fell short, it would often be heard saying, I have sinned, because it's an archery term. It fell short of the target. It fell short of the mark. But yet we're not only sinners by nature, like I said, we're sinners by practice. We fall short in and of ourselves. And so Paul has clearly <laughs> shown us you know, if he was a prosecuting attorney, he would rest his case right here. He'd go, you're all guilty before God. And hopefully we would all start crying out, then what must I do? Just like in the book of Acts, what must I do to be saved? Look what it says in verse 24. It says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Remember that word justification, just as if I'd never sinned. Though I do sin, I did sin. God declares us innocent and he justifies us freely. So how does he do it? How does he justify us? I love this. I can't remember who said it, but he said this. He said, Christ hides our unrighteousness. It was a, it was a uh, Puritan writer. He said, Christ hides our unrighteousness with his righteousness. He covers our disobedience with his obedience. He shadows our death with his death that the wrath of God cannot find us. Love that picture. Freely. What does freely mean? Freely. What does it mean? I mean, think about that because it's important. He justifies you freely, right? It means without a cause. Without a cause. You go freely. Did, see, because people want to go, well, freely, I, I deserved it. I earned it. I merited it. And you go, no. He freely, without a cause. God, God himself chose to justify you, to forgive you. You'll never, you'll never understand it. I mean, it's not like you went, you, after a while, you know, like I said, you get saved and you go after, you start seeing what God's doing in your life and you go, oh, now I understand why God saved me. Yeah, this is why, because I, I offer this to the kingdom, right? No, freely. There's no reason that you and I could produce. I love that word redemption because it's, it means to redeem from the slave market. Think about this, where a slave was bought and his debts were paid and then he was set free, free to live. That's what Jesus did for me and you. We were on the auction block. We were slaves with tremendous debt that we could not pay. Don't have time to go into it, but, you know, uh, Jesus, a wonderful parable. You know, guy has a debt, 100 bucks, remember, can't pay it back, cries out for mercy. And then he's forgiven. Then he goes out and chokes somebody else out, you know, and it's an amazing, amazing story. I encourage you to go back and read the parable yourself and understand what it means to be freely, freely forgiven, to be redeemed. Verse 25 says, when God set forth as the propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. That, that word propitiation there, 
it's it's the Greek word hilasterion, and and it means the basic idea means appeasement or satisfaction. And so God's wrath is appeased; it's satisfied by the sacrifice of Jesus. That that's really what, like I said, communion is all about. That word propitiation it means a place of mercy. And this is where you know I want to wrap it up here. Um, this is where when I said you know put a lid on it, because I just kept as I was looking at that word redemption. And I, and I encourage you to do a, a study on this because it can be traced back to the Ark of the Covenant here. Remember the gold lid that was on the Ark of the Covenant? Remember inside the, the Ark was you know, the Ten Commandments. You know, they had Aaron's rod that budded, you know, jars of manna, right? But think about the Ten Commandments. They were inside. And then there was this gold lid, right? And then what was on top of the lid? Right, you have the cherubim, right? And, and that, that lid, again, was, the, was considered the mercy seat of God. And the only way, and so when you picture the imagery of this as we prepare for communion, the only way that a priest could go into the most holy place and, and, and experience the Shekinah glory, the presence of God, was that he would have to pour blood on the top of that mercy seat, right? And you go, and you, you think about, why did he have to do that? You go, because we had broken the law, right? But the law was now where? It was inside the ark. You could say, for us to have a relationship, God put a lid on it. So he put a lid on the law, right? And then they poured blood on top of that. And when that happened, that made a way, it made an access for man to now have communion or relationship with God again. And so again, the lid is what separated, you could say, the law of God, his judgment from his glory. The law did. And that's what happened in our life. We were lawbreakers. We broke the laws of God, and therefore what? We didn't experience the glory of God because God couldn't have a relationship with us. And so what the priest would do is they would offer the lamb, the sacrifice, go ahead and pour that blood on that, and the lid was shut, and then God's grace, his glory, would come down, and God would meet with him there. And so, like I said, you could see that it's in this spot where God put a lid on the law. We weren't going to be saved by the law. No, the law brought us to that place where then the sacrifice could be made, where we could enjoy the presence of God once again. And so when you see that, you go, man, the, the, then communion is so, so profound. How can we come to the throne today? Those of us who have fallen short of the glory of God, we can only do it because what? God placed a lid over the law when he offered Jesus, our high priest, who himself, himself, went beyond the veil for us and made atonement for us. That blood-stained mercy seat, church, became what? The meeting place. And the picture that Paul wants you and I to see is not the Old Testament ark, but what? The cross. We couldn't keep the law. We were guilty before God, dead in our trespass and sin. And Jesus went to that cross and he died. Because God is just, and he's holy. And he said that the wages of sin was death. Somebody had to die for my sin and for your sin. And Jesus willingly went there. And verse 26 says, to demonstrate that at the present time is righteousness, that he might be both the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God loves us, but he doesn't want to bend the rules. He doesn't bend the rules. Like I said, he said the wages of sin is death. Death is required. And that's why Jesus had to die. He had to pacify God's justice and to satisfy God's mercy. God loves you, but the penalty 
had to be paid. And if you don't have and allow Jesus to pay the penalty for your sin, you'll pay it yourself. And thank God today that we don't have to pay the penalty ourselves. Amen. I'm going to invite the, the worship team to come up, you know, and as they do, you know, as he closes it out, you know, in verse 27, 28, he says, where then is boasting? He says, it's excluded. He says, by what? The law of works? No, he says, but by the law of faith. There we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Again, we've added nothing to it. All we can do is what we do today as we receive it. And as we receive communion today, may we do it with, like I said, gladness and simplicity of heart. You know, as Paul reminds, you know, the Jews there, he says, or is he the God of the Jews only? He said, is he not the God also of the Gentiles? Yes, he says, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. He says, so then do we make void the law through faith? He said, certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. So what, what is that telling us? Faith. Faith causes us to be what the law wants us to be. See, it's like I said, heaven isn't just a destination. It's a motivation. Amen? It's a motivation in our life. I deserve hell. By God's grace, you and I will enjoy heaven because of what Jesus has done for us. Amen? And there's something to be thankful for. Something that should just be so humbling to us because you go, he justified us freely, freely. You'll never come up with a reason, freely. You go, why did he do this? Why did he do this? You want to come up with a reason, don't you? But there's no reason. There's no logical reason like why God would save me and you other than what he declares in his word. For God so loved this world that he gave, he loves you. He loves you. That's why Jesus died. And so as we, Enjoy this song of worship to send you out with today. You know, we have the stations around the, the sanctuary here. Just enjoy a moment with God today. Just afresh today. Thank him. Go, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for being my savior. God, thank you that I couldn't add to it. There's nothing I could do other than open my heart. And when you do, when you truly open your heart, to what Jesus has for you. It will change you. It won't just be in your head, but it'll get down to your heart. And then the heart's desire of your life is not going, what can I get away with? No, not any longer. It's saying, what, what can I do that my life could be a reflection of gratitude? I, I love that, you know, that my life would be my thank you. My worship to God would be my thank you. My thank you to God. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. And as we just receive communion now, before we leave this place, God, may it just be a sweet moment for each of us. For those at home, Lord, those of us here, to just be reminded afresh that it was your body broken for us, that it was your blood shed on Calvary's cross that set us free. Lord, there's no words that, God, we could express that could capture what you have done for us. To know that, God, today, even this very moment in time, you're preparing a place for us that one day, God will be with you. But until that day, you didn't leave us alone. You didn't leave us here all by ourselves. But, Lord, you gave us your spirit to be with us and to be in us. That we could know your comfort and your peace, even in the midst of life's storms and all the trials, all the tribulations. 
Lord, thank you. Thank you for loving us like you do. Thank you for providing for all of our needs. Most of all today, Lord, thank you for Jesus, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Use this time. Magnify your name, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.